On this episode, we hear from Adrian Darakai. He's running in the Tarwin Ward. And this episode was recorded on Friday the 15th of October, and we kicked off about 6.30 p.m. Adrian is uh, probably giving me one of the best explanations on how he went about his How to Vote card, which comes up towards the end of the episode. And, yeah, I feel like if there is a way to do a How to Vote card consideration and approach that, uh, I really respect the way he has done it. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to the South Gippsland Shire Council Election Podcast 2021. As I sit here and acknowledge the Bunurong and Gurnai Kurnai people as traditional custodians of South Gippsland, and we all pay respect to their elders, past, present, and future, for they hold the memories, traditions, culture, and hopes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people of Australia and of our Shire. Let's get into it. Okay, here we go. Okay, this episode, we are recording on Friday the 15th of October. It's 6.56pm in the evening and I'm with Adrian Darakai. He's running in the Tarwin Ward. He's university educated in psychology, social work and speech pathology, heavily involved on committees with the Lyric Theatre in Leangatha Foster Arts and Drama Association. And hopefully we'll get him to talk about that more in detail. Um, welcome, Adrian. Thanks so much for having me, Craig. And first question, same for everybody. What's your favourite childhood memory? Yeah, um, so I, I grew up in Puong on, uh, in, in an old house next to our dairy farm, uh, right next to the dairy, and we had this plum tree. And just one of my favourite things to do was to, was to climb the tree, pick the plums, and then and just sit in the kitchen eating them and I would have been pretty young at that at that time but I just remember it was it was just such a a wonderful thing to do awesome and do you still do that now <laughs> well <laughs> I I would if the property belonged to me um but I think that tree might be um in someone else's yard so um I don't want to risk the the complaints from neighbors I've been asking that question for 21 episodes now and everyone tells a story and I flash back to mine. So I feel I need to go and do some of those things I used to do when I was that young. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I digress. Now, Nathan, uh, Darakai is not the same surname as the one you were born with, Forbes. Um, is that name spawned from your love and involvement in the arts and culture world? And do you want to talk to your experience and your part in the arts and culture world? Yeah, sure, sure. I'll just make one correction. I think you just mentioned the word Nathan, and I think Nathan is one did of the I? other candidates. You oh. did, but that's totally fine. <laughs> I, just, I just wouldn't want the um, wouldn't want the listeners to confuse me with someone in the other ward, and they'll say, "Oh, there's no no Nathan on this ballot." Um, oh my god, so, Adrian! Sorry, Adrian, Adrian. So fine, so fine, so fine. So yeah, look, um, yeah, Derek. I, I look. I changed that um, surname 
um, probably 15 years ago or so. And as I was sort of making a making my way in the performing arts industry and and look, um, uh, a large reason behind that was because it, I don't know, at the time I thought it sounded cool. Um, I think these days I would, if I was to change it, I would uh, choose something that <laughs> you don't have to repeat uh, when people ask how to spell it. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, look, look, um, I did, I did study um, dance when I was uh, 18, when I finished school, I went to, um, went to Melbourne and studied that for a few years. Then I worked as a, as a performer or, or dancer professionally for um, a number of years, um, ended up on a, a cruise ship over in, in Miami and it sort of went uh, to the Bahamas and back and it sounds pretty fantastic but sort of at the end of the day you're, you're on a ship for, for a long period of time and you lose a lot of the luxuries that I guess you miss, um, that, that you end up missing the little things like just washing your own clothes in in a, a washing machine that that I don't know two thousand other people don't use, and um, just being able to wash your own dishes and, and things like that. So um, did that for a while. Thought I wanted something a bit more meaningful, so came back and um, and studied psychology, and then uh, I'm, I'm now studying speech pathology as well, and about to finish that in a few weeks, but. Look, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really passionate about performing arts and the arts just in general and, and culture when it comes to this area, when it comes to South Gippsland. I think we have so many community groups that are arts-based or creative-based. And when you look at all the other neighbouring shires, um, you've got, well, I mean, Wellington Shire, Borbore Shire, Cardinia, Bass Coast, Latrobe City, um, and even um, East Gippsland, all of these places have performing arts slash cultural centres that are used by so many community groups that are used by so many professional artists and musicians and actors and, and um, creative groups and individuals um, that it attracts. It's, it's basically a, a tourism um, thing for, for those large acts and it's a great resource and I guess, facility for the local community groups. And that's something that in South Gippsland we've been lacking. We've got some great halls around and around the area. And I've heard from a few people that it'd be great to see those brought back up to, um, to the level that they, they could be at for, for catering to all those arts and um, arts and cultural needs. But what I'd really love to see is, is some arts precinct or arts centre or something that really puts South Gippsland on the map for catering to those needs of all the creatives and and all those um, artists in the area. Uh, I'm a big believer in you build it and they will come so 100 yeah, percent like absolutely. to re uh, relate what you just said to my little space in the Shire with Fish Creek. Fish Creek has a community group for every type of uh, adventure you could think of and that's just our small yeah. town so that is across the shire i have no doubt um awesome so in the sentinel times all the candidates were asked to uh submit um question uh, answers to questions that were posed to you and top five issues that you've put in there i'm just going to start with one of them you speak to innovation hubs and entrepreneurship being better supported do you want to talk to that a little bit more sure yeah, so entrepreneurship, I, I think, is on the rise. You've got 
you've got a really changing demographic in the area, which I, I think is going to be reflected in the next census results. You've had a lot of transition of, of people from Melbourne to the country areas just in the last two years as a result of COVID, it might have sped up what was going to be happening anyway at some point. Um, I think there's some gentrification happening there. And I guess with, with less stable or less traditional jobs um, or employment, you've, we've got to be creative about how we, how we um, find employment opportunities for people in this shire um, and, and elsewhere as well. But, but obviously the focus is on this shire for now. Um, if we can encourage the seeds of ideas um, for small businesses from people within our community, then we can support them to build those businesses, employ other local people, and then really develop industries that are going to sustain our shire financially, economically, for, and, and I guess socially and culturally for the next um, few generations at least until there's some other massive, massive um, social shift or, or revolution um, and I think we need to better support those entrepreneurs and, and really encourage and embrace innovation in, in all different sorts of areas. I mean, whether that's in um, creating these incubator hubs, um, which I guess are, are bricks and mortar buildings where you might even have some grants writer um, working with people with these business ideas and setting targets with them and basically just full-time working with them to get state and federal funding for their for their business ideas and have these goals that they have to meet then to these targets that are really going to help their their ideas go from a seed into a, a seedling and then into a tree which is then going to help support so many people in the community um, so i think that's one really important thing in in that regard I guess another thing is just wanting to see a link between, in terms of innovation, wanting to see a link between different businesses um, and different industries as well. So a great example, um, you're from Fish Creek, there's a great um, cafe there that supports local artists by uh, displaying their work for one artist's work or a couple of artists' work for a month at a time. And so it's basically an exhibition that, that people locals can go to um, or people from out of town can go to it's a tourist attraction there it, it's great for the cafe it's great for the artists and you've got these two completely separate uh, fields of work working together and being innovative there and it's I think it's really working effectively and I want to see that happen not just with arts and cafes but in all other areas so that we can have more supportive industries and I guess that sense of community that we're all sort of trying to help each other. Awesome. Are you there? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Can you hear me? Oh, you're just back now. Cool. Um, awesome. Well, I I never get surprised by meeting the next person in Fish Creek and what art project they're up to. It doesn't <laughs> stop. So um, it, it's endless. They're currently creating all these floats for our New Year's Eve street parade at 11 a.m. Big plug for Fish Creek Carnival street parade. Sorry to steal that airtime <laughs> episode, Adrian. Uh, I'll aim to come along. <laughs> we are talking about art. So it triggered my mind about what we're doing here in the arts world. Yeah. Um, in the... Uh, get, uh, Sentinel as well. We have another point that you made there that you um, you want to 
create strategic preservation of natural spaces and farmland. Do you want to talk to that? Yeah, sure. Look, I mean, I grew up on a a farm. I was lucky enough to grow up on a farm, hundreds of acres in Puwong, and every day the view was just, you could see out to Mount Borbor and you could see the snow on it um, in winter. And it was just stunning. And while I didn't appreciate it as much as I uh, probably could have when I was a teenager, um, just it was such an incredible opportunity to be able to have that space. And and I guess we, we don't all have that luxury to be able to do that. And it's unsustainable, I guess, to be able to do that, um, to be able to, you know, if everyone has their half acre block or acre block and, and that sort of um, few acres, their lifestyle property and, you know, we're, we're not a shrinking population and it's going to be a long, long time before we are, if ever. And so population growth there is inevitable and we've got to cater to that growth and be innovative in that regard while still maintaining and preserving the agricultural land, the forests, the coastline that we still have before they, I guess they turn into a, um, and nothing against Pakenham in terms of the Shire, but in terms of that suburbia residential housing that, that I guess replaces those fields and coastlines and farmlands and forests. Um, that's not something that I want to see. And I don't think it's something that anyone else um, that I've spoken with wants to see. They want to feel as though they're in the country and they're going to feel as though they're in the country if they can see that farmland, if they can see those trees and those forests. And, and, and that's really important to me. Um, we have had our house in Fish Creek 10 years, uh, full time for two. So we've driven down almost every weekend for 10 years. And yeah, watching that Pakenham, Kuirup, Suburbia grow every week, um, slightly horrifying to my eyes how close those houses are together. Um, and, you know, it's, it's people have to live somewhere. We have a massive com- accommodation issue down here. Um, businesses can't get staff because the staff don't have anywhere to live. Like there's a, there's a big accommodation problem down here. However, yeah. just, we've got to do it right. We can't turn into suburbia like that for sure. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where it comes down to. Um, so, I mean, building those relationships with, with state government in terms of that planning and that growth that's expected and, and working with businesses to come up with ways that we can still um, provide accommodation and, and housing for the number of people expected, but um, the, the impact on, on land is going to be minimal, you know, like um, the, uh, I just saw on Facebook recently, as I was scrolling through, there's, there's 3D printing of houses that occurs in a fraction of the time of traditional um, house building. Um, that's the sort of innovation that, that we could be looking at in terms of speed of, uh, or availability of, of housing. And it's then about how do we make that, um, uh, how do we reduce the impact on the, the precious land that does surround our towns? Um, and, and so you've got, you know, in Fitzroy or Carlton or that sort of, those sort of areas in Melbourne, you've got, I guess, townhouses that are, that are narrow, um, but maybe multi-level and they're, and they're longer. So then you've got, um, you know, for the same block of land that you'd have one house on, 
down here at the moment, you could potentially put three and that that then is something that could be looked at. I mean, there's, I don't claim to have all the answers in this particular area, but I do claim to have a lot of passion for it and a lot of passion for pre preserving that land. And I guess asking the right questions in terms of how we can achieve that sustainable growth. You said something in there that I wanna, you said something about you don't have all the answers. I don't think a counsellor should be expected to have all the answers. I'm worried if a counsellor is telling me they have all the answers. Like I'm truly worried by a counsellor that thinks they have all the answers. You have a whole administration staff there. There'll be specialists in these fields. Um, I don't, I wouldn't expect you to have the answers. But yeah. Yeah. I, look, I feel, I guess I feel as though I need to, to say that to remind people that. Um, well, first of all, to be honest with them, because I, I certainly don't have all the answers, um, despite what my parents would have told me as a teenager. Um, I don't know everything. Um, I'm, I'm willing to be humble there and, and defer to authority or expertise in that, in that regard. As you say, we're going to have council staff who, who are working already and have been working really hard for a long time. And, and you've got to have an effective... Um, relationship with with all of those people as well and and that's really important but I feel as though there's a lot of other candidates uh, are coming with I guess a lot more um, knowledge of of the inner workings of council or um, with what they think is the right idea for for the, the community and I just don't want people to think that I'm, I'm coming in sort of telling people how it should be and absolutely just want to listen to what people think and then go all right well we've got a thousand people you know ten thousand people thirty thousand people um a lot of them want this over here um option a a lot of them want option b some want option c how can we get the best of all of those options so we can address everyone's wants and needs there um and i, I guess it's a matter of compromise then and a matter of finding that that center between any extreme yeah 100 percent. and the center is whether you're going to make the most people happy but there's always going to be someone not getting what they want and that's just the way democracies work i think where upset shows up if people don't feel included in the conversation or when a decision's made there's no transparency in how or why the decision was made and that's where i think frustration of the people who didn't get what they wanted or thought they deserved um, might Get a bit annoyed yeah yeah look absolutely and i've i've had conversations with so it's been really really um heartwarming to have people contact me and whether it's via email or, or facebook messenger or just giving me a call or a text uh just members of the community who are i guess interested in in their vote and they're, they're aware that it does matter and so they're calling and they're and we might start the conversation. I was chatting with someone um, from Leangatha recently and and he had, uh, I think it was regarding that kamikaze corner intersection in Leangatha and, and he was absolutely adamant that there's only one way to, um, to I guess, find a solution for that. And that was to do an underpass. And, um, and I, I was absolutely listening to that. And I, I don't think, um, there's one solution for that. I've heard, you know, you could do an overpass, an underpass or, or a traffic light system. Um, they're all going to have their pros and cons. But um, even though he was, I guess, um, adamant that that was 
that was the only option. We were still able to have a really, um, really honest and open conversation about it. And we, we didn't necessarily agree on, on what the solution was, um, but we were able to have that conversation. We were able to communicate those differences of opinion and talk about the pros and cons of each and, and opening our minds to, to different ideas. Yes, there's some really exciting new candidates that I've been speaking to over these 21 episodes. So the future does look bright for South Gippsland Shire if um, we get that fresh start, I think. Um, so in the paper, we're going to move on to another point there. You talk about um, services fairly across our Shire. So little towns, in between towns, making sure no one's forgotten about. Do you want to talk to that? Yeah, look, and that, that's, I guess, a hark back to having grown up in a town where I think at the time when I was a kid in Puong, there are just a few hundred people, um, which, you know, it's not dis dissimilar to, um, uh, say, Dumbork or, or other towns like that, Lock. Um, and I've, I always wondered as a kid why some roads that, that were just left in disrepair when other sort of in the, the smaller town areas when um, other roads were given so much more attention. I mean, there'd be pothole after pothole after pothole or yeah, dangerous um, edges or shoulders to the road um, on the, the roads, let's say, going from Lock through Kernot and, and to Phillip Island and that. And, and I just always thought that was unfair. And so I'm really keen to see that equitable spread of, um, of attention and uh, addressing issues in that equitable way across the Shire, because I do have that experience in a, a small town and now in a, a large town. And it's really important to me. And it's important to a lot of people I've spoken with as well, who are in the small towns, such as Dumbork. And um, people have, have said there, you know, there's roads that are uh, given much more attention than other towns, or there's playgrounds that are given much more attention than other towns. So, um, and even just, you know, dealing with water as well. Yep. Fish Creek feel that pain some days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I get it. Um, and in there as well, you've spoken about uh, increased support for the local economy. So our towns can bounce back from COVID even stronger than before. What role do you see council and councillors playing in that increased support? Yeah, so probably two answers to that. One is, I guess, goes back to the innovation and entrepreneurship side of things. So if we can better support people with those ideas that are going to be the, the next biz, businesses of our shire, the next bigger um, economic opportunities, then then we need to be able to support them, uh, try to get them to access that funding from state and federal levels where possible or from other philanthropic organisations um, because we want to see them succeed. And we, you know, it's, it's healthy to have a level of competition in, in any area. So um, the, the more we can support those businesses or those ideas from the very start, then the more we're going to see new businesses or niche markets flourish, and then we're going to um, be able to, hopefully they're going to be able to then um, start employing local people. And then we're going to develop this, this great sense of community and this um, economic resilience there. And I guess the other direction that I could take with that answer is um, 
we it'd be really good to focus on the visitor economy or some people use the word tourism but some people don't like that um i don't see any issue with that word i think it's really important and i think the visitor economy is so important to south Gippsland shire but i guess look i live in Langatha, for example and when people are coming out of COVID lockdown and the government go, the state government goes, all right, well, people can travel anywhere they want in regional Victoria. Top of the list is not going to be Leangatha. And it's unlikely to be some other towns in South Gippsland as well. And they're going to say, all right, let's go to Bright. They've got beautiful tr trees there. They've got a great reputation. Let's go to Beechworth. They've, uh, that's historic you know we'll go to castle maine we'll go um somewhere by the coasts and and they might say we'll go to wilson's prom but i guess how can we cater to the um the, how can we cater our local businesses and local towns and the branding of our towns to those people that are going to be contributing to tourism to that visitor economy and how can we capitalize on that to really build the reputation of uh, many towns across the Shire and the Shire as a whole. So it becomes, um, you know, we're not just a pit stop on the way to somewhere else in the Shire. Every place in the Shire is the destination. And you look, I mean, you can tie that in with so many other things like um, that silo arts um, trail, the silo trail has been really successful from what I've heard. And that's a great way of getting people down here, giving people a reason to come here and increasing or improving that reputation as as um, something really um, unique or worthwhile traveling down here for a hundred percent dramatic tourism monuments matter fish creek being on back roads it really was obviously changed the traffic to our town even in winter like it it matters that those big attractive special shiny objects that you can't see anywhere else um absolutely matter i believe it um yeah. all right so um with this campaign there's a lot of uh talk about climate change declaring a climate change emergency we've got groups like just transition and council matters sending you guys surveys um how do you feel about that and and do you want to speak to that absolutely just transition they've they've sent a few emails and we've had some very polite communication they drew my attention to their strategic plan for example that was recently released and i had a look at that and i agree with probably 90 percent of of the content there um, in relation action on climate um, there's look there's a big focus on declaring a climate emergency from some candidates and from some people in the community um, and i was made aware of a recent uh, petition or a relatively recent petition from some members in the community um, a fairly substantial number of people in the community wanting to declare a climate emergency um, i guess mike my thoughts are you could have two councils council one and council two council one could declare a climate emergency and do absolutely nothing. You could have council two who doesn't declare a climate emergency, but is so committed to 
um, reducing the carbon footprint and to um, improving the, the climate overall, that they take action immediately and they do everything in their local government power to reduce their carbon footprint. And I would rather be in that council too. Um, I guess another reason I'm, uh, I guess, hesitant to declare or so provide support for declaring a climate emergency is because I think I mentioned in the forum about 80% of the people I've spoken with don't, in the community, and that's that's hundreds of people that I have spoken with, 80% of them think it's very alarmist terminology, it's very polarising and divisive. And I don't think that's um, something that's really going to bring our community together. It might make people even more retrenched in their ideas about climate and maybe um, in their resistance to to either climate change as a as a, an accepted theory or in in terms of actions that we're going to do to try to improve the climate and just uh, I guess the environment more generally. So uh, look I, I personally don't support the use of uh, the term climate emergency because it's it's symbolic rather than um, uh, providing tangible benefits or outcomes to the community and I'm more interested in taking action there and even Greta Thunberg, and I mentioned this in the forum as well, even Greta Thunberg, who is arguably one of the world's most well-known activists in this area, um, believes we're talking too much and using symbolism too much, and we have empty words in relation to that. So I want to see action, and, and those actions, I mean, first of all, why not do an audit of what the council's carbon output is? I don't know if there are any figures in relation to that. There might be that data already or those data already with council. If there's not, let's just take a, do a stock take and see, all right, what are we putting out? Um, what can we get down to within a reasonable time frame? What sort of things are the biggest emitters in our um, shire from in, in terms of what's under the council's responsibility there? We're not talking about private businesses or, or private homes, although we would obviously encourage um, renewable energies and, and efforts to reduce their carbon footprints. But in terms of what the council is actually um, responsible for, you've got um, the fleet of vehicles, which are presumably petrol and, and diesel, you know, gas powered. Um, and you'd have electricity for the buildings, for probably, you know, street lights and things like that. So you go, all right, well, that's, that's the uh, energy output from the Shire. How much um, carbon are we emitting there? All right, so what actions can we actually tangibly take to make those tangible benefits? And one example is, um, is to replace the, the council's fleet of vehicles on an as-needs basis, not just throwing it out entirely and then just purchasing immediately this brand new fleet of electric vehicles, but um, gradually over time replacing them with electric vehicles. And then you're, you're, you're gonna have eventually um, a, I guess, zero carbon emitting vehicle fleet for the whole council. And that includes tractors. I've been reading articles lately about um, electric powered tractors or electric powered um, other machinery and, and vehicles that the council uses that aren't cars. And so there's, there's no reason that we can't invest in those um, as, as those vehicles need to be replaced. Um, if we want to talk about... Um, other things that we can take, it's investing in renewable energies for the council. I mean, 
there's other communities that are, have, I guess, community funded um, renewable energy sources, um, such as solar power or wind power, and I'd absolutely be supportive of actions like that. Um, in terms of what we can do for tourists or, or that, that visit, to support that visitor economy, um, is provide more electric vehicle outlets. So you've got um, over in Norway, for example, just 10 years ago, uh, I think 75% or more of the, the cars on the roads were uh, traditional sort of petrol powered cars. And, and these days it's something like two and a half percent. And Australia, um, as one, uh, I think transport minister in the ACT recently said, Australia, if we're not gonna be jumping on board with, with these sorts of progressive ideas when it comes to climate, we're gonna be the dumping ground for all the old diesel powered cars. And I absolutely agree. Um, we've got three electric powered vehicle outlets uh, to my knowledge in South Gippsland. Um, so if there's gonna be such a transition to these vehicles in the next five years, 10 years or so, then why not put those supports in place now and, and obviously reduce our carbon output and I guess the Shire's carbon output as a whole. It's a very thorough answer and there's a lot in there that comes into mind. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, it means you've put a lot of thought into it. That's awesome. Um, so in my role, looking after holiday homes in Sandy Point, I got a random phone call the other day and it was a guy saying, oh, I've got an electric bike that I like to ride down through South Gippsland region. I see your phone numbers tied to a charger in South, in Sandy Point. And one of the houses we used to manage had Tesla chargers in the driveway. There's a mm. web, website called PlugShare that um, they all these vehicle users use. And so I had a really good conversation with this guy and his frustration with trying to use his electric motorbike that he loves riding and just wants. Uh, so Fish Creek Pub have two Tesla chargers in the car park. They've been there for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're on on this site, and uh, these are this is a site built by users. It feels like a wiki for bike users, where the the user yeah. creates the content. Um, so they, yeah, they, there's just a there's one Tesla charger at the pub apparently just inoperable, and on the site the other one talks about oh you have to plug it in like five six seven eight ten times to reset the charger constantly and sometimes it'll only charge for a certain amount of time and then stop um and then apparently the tesla repair guys have come out and they wrapped up one and just walked away and tried to fix the other one but so it's all very exciting to say oh just need some charging stations and get some electric but there's a whole bunch of work that comes with building new ways of working. So yeah, yeah. The, these plugs uh, need a lot of thought. There's a lot of uh, post installation things that need to happen, which can create jobs. But yeah, this one guy, he's like, I want to ride up into the hills of the Terrabolga, but I can't go there and back because there's no way to charge my bike for the 160 Ks I can get before I have to start thinking about charging. Yeah, and even even um, not just up there. I mean, if you want to go on the rail trail um, from Langatha all the way to, I guess, um, maybe if you want to go to Welshpool or so, then um, you'd be thinking twice about getting there in, in the one charge or you'd need to allow for that. 
And I guess we it's just about exploring the options there. You've got universities yeah. in Australia exploring graphene batteries and that technology is going to allow for much, much longer um, charge. And then if we can provide more of those charging stations, then people are not going to be as worried about them. And the technology, I think, is just developed eventually at the moment in that area, as has been in the media recently. Yes, and I did hear something about um, where someone was spouting off statistics about how much the cost of building uh, batteries for electric vehicles is exponentially just dropped and keeps dropping. And there's all this modeling that the cost of building these batteries for cars is just gonna continually keep dropping to make them more and more affordable. So it, I guess where I come from with this climate change thing, it's gotta start somewhere. Um, strong declarations might just force its hand a bit faster and send a message out. So I understand that side of the argument, but I certainly don't wanna see money wasted rushing off to tick some boxes um, for the no, sake no, of- No, and, and I completely understand the intent behind, oh, and the desire behind wanting to declare the climate emergency. And it's not that I don't believe it's important. I, I believe it's absolutely, um, critical that we do uh, take action on the climate um, and not just the climate but so many other environmental issues as well you've got you know flora and fauna protection you've got waste management um, and recycling and things like that but in terms of the climate like there are so many things that we can do and we can do them quickly I lived when I was studying up in Melbourne I lived in the city of Monash which used to be known as the, the garden city and uh, there's been a lot of development in the last, say, 20 years in particular. And so the, the typical old um, Californian bungalow type houses were being knocked down. All these McMansions were being uh, built. They weren't replacing all the, the canopy trees there. That was having issues with permeability of water and, and runoff there. And so the council then had to plant um, uh, increase the number of street trees just on nature strips by about 13% because um, they realised there was just a, such a loss of vegetation there and that was having all these flow-on effects. And um, ironically, the reason that people moved to that, that um, city of Monash in the, in the first place was because of that Garden City appeal. And, um, but ironically, they, they lost that, um, that whole reason for, for moving there because it was so attractive. Yes, well, there's lots to do on that climate change piece. We have very active community members that are really focused on it. So it'd be great, whatever council we end up with, that everyone just keeps talking and working towards the best solution with the biggest bang for our buck, with the fastest actual actionable results. Um, it'll be exciting to see us move forward with that, uh, that issue. Um, all right, moving on to a different subject. Um, people who got onto this podcast early on the piece didn't get asked these questions because this information wasn't out there at that point, but quite a few of the most recent candidates who have come on in the last week or so. Um, Adrian, I want to understand how you deal with the how to vote card system and why you've chosen to do your how to vote card system the way you have. Good question. I think how to vote cards, I, th I think their place in local government elections has diminished 
in recent years, I don't think they're anywhere near as important as they used to be at this local government level. Um, I've done a how to vote card. Would I do one again if I was running again? Probably not, because I think because the, there's been some changes, people don't get them with their ballot pack anymore. It's a matter of getting in them in the mail separately, usually a few days prior to receiving the ballot packs or, or sometimes afterwards. Um, there, there's not as much benefit and people are just more likely to throw it away. I was chatting with someone today who said, um, they they got mine but, um, and and several others, but they just chucked it in the in the uh, in the bin. Um, and I suspect a lot of people are doing that. Um, I did it. Um, I, I hadn't initially thought that I would do one. Um, there were a number of people who said that a number of other candidates who were going to do one. So um, later in the piece, I decided, yeah, look, I'll, I'll go ahead and do one. Um, and I, I did so. Obviously, typically you rank yourself first on the uh, out-of-vote card. I'd be concerned about your self-esteem if, if you didn't rank yourself first. Um, and then it's a matter in our ward of, of ranking the other candidates from two to ten. Usually, or I guess in theory, you'd be ranking people based on the um, how aligned you are philosophically, how... Um, how much confidence you have in those those people who you rank highly to do an effective job in council if if you're not able to get in if you're not successful then you want to be comfortable with the the next few people that you put on your how to vote card um so what i did and sorry this is a bit of a long-winded answer <laughs> as many of my it's have been it's it no um, it's an important answer it means you've got something um, to say i appreciate it yeah look um so I made a goal of, of contacting all the other candidates um, during the, the last few weeks. And I've contacted every candidate at least twice, if not several times, um, uh, and had either a phone call, a text message conversation, or an in-person chat with all of them. Um, and I tried to do that from the very beginning to ensure that we could be collegial and respectful and, and make sure, I guess, we stay on higher ground throughout the, the campaign period. Um, unfortunately, it hasn't happened as such, but look, um, on the day that nominations closed, or sorry, the day before nominations closed, uh, Don Hill, who is another candidate in our ward, he uh, contacted me and wanted to meet with me uh, as soon as possible. Uh, I agreed to, to catch up with him the following day, which was the earliest I was available. Um, he wanted me to go on his it was how to vote ticket, I guess you could call it a ticket. Um, what's now known as the, the Gang of Four, which would have been a Gang of Five had I agreed to participate. Um, he was offering me um, the opportunity to, to I guess, rank him highly in exchange for having a, a reasonably favourable rank uh, among the others who were participating. Um, he, he already had three people lined up who we now know to be Lindsay and Les and Andrew. I uh, said it was important for me to, to get to know all the other candidates first, to know what they stand for. He was pretty insistent that I uh, agreed there and then, or if not the following morning, because they were going to print them uh, or send them off to print the next day. Um, I, I, I politely declined and, and told him that, you know, he could throw in the kitchen sink, but I, I wouldn't commit to doing that because um, it was really important to me that I, I did it based on the individual uh, and 
I guess after taking in taking into consideration all the other the the features from other candidates as well and their character. Um, uh, about a week later, a week and a half later, I decided that I would do one myself. Um, part of that process and, and ranking involved uh, me having further conversations with the other candidates uh, and determining what they stood for, what their values were, how they've interacted with me in those phone conversations or text messages or in, in person, what we're working towards, how effective I think we would be if we were working as a team on council. And, and one of the important things that I had to consider was community sentiment. And, and out of courtesy, I, I did give Don Hill and Rosemary Cousin a call um, prior to publishing my How to Vote card because I had ranked them uh, last and second last respectively. And I felt it um, was, I don't know, a courtesy to give them a call and explain the reasons why I put them there. And for them uh, to know that it was um, almost entirely because of community sentiment that um, out of probably 99% of the people that I'd spoken with did not want anyone from the, the previous SACT council to be on council again. And so it was really important for me that I could listen to that community in that respect, because if I didn't, you'd end up with a community that resents its, some of its councillors. And if you have a community that resents some of its councillors, you're not going to have that trust or respect there, and it's really not going to be the most effective council. Um, I had conversations. I was able to meet with uh, Andrew in person. I was able to meet with um, Nicole, with Jeremy, Claire, and John in person, and... I had some really good conversations with them um, in terms of the effectiveness of working as a team on council. I really think uh, I've ranked John and Claire number two and three because I think they uh, that we working as a as a team on council would be the most effective and the most efficient outcome for everyone in the community. Awesome. Well, thanks for being so candid and um to the point and clear, uh, that's refreshing for sure. Um, the, for anyone who maybe just caught this episode and they're listening and they haven't listened to any others up to this point, based on what Adrian just referenced, uh, I would direct people to the episode for Tarwin Ward that Les Harmer recorded with me is probably the candidate that I've been challenged with the most in how they went about their how to vote card. And that's why I do appreciate your answer, Adrian, and explaining your thought process on why. Um, the fact that you rang the people that you put at the bottom, I think that might be a, you know, a gold medal to you that maybe no one else, even that any ward may have done that. Uh, very respectful. Um, yeah. Because go Sorry, for it. You go. No, you go. Um, well, I guess I want any new listeners is this if this is their first episode and why I'm sending to the Les Harmer episode is on that how to vote ticket that they were trying to get you on. Les Harmer put Don Till number two, but I've maybe only met him a couple of times, and that constantly confuses me, even to the day to and Les Harmer stood out the front of shopping centres getting the same feedback that you just spoke to, that everyone that came up to him said, oh, we don't want the old council back on. 
So he's getting yeah. that community feedback, but he's already signed up to this how to vote system. Um, and he's under his name got Donhill number two, even though all the community members he's gone out to hear from have said, we don't want that person back on. So even at that point, if he said, okay, now I've got this feedback, I don't want to be tied to the, it's too late. It's printed. It's out there. He said yes without doing his research, I think. And I feel like you've done your research and your how to vote card. Um, for me, I'm being open to everyone. One of my things is I'd love to see it gone forever in our system. I think if you put someone number 10 on there and you end up on council, um, how does that dynamic even start? Like, you know, it's just a system that creates boundaries amongst people who are you know, maybe destined to work together. And I don't like it personally. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've read um, a recent letter to the editor in the Sentinel Times, I think it was, that was, I guess, lamenting the the existence of how to vote cards. And um, look, I think they serve a purpose for some people who are maybe indecisive about their, their voting, or maybe they support particular candidates um, because maybe they know them or or are familiar with them somehow and mm. trust that person to um, choose other candidates uh, or preference other, other candidates in a way that they would be comfortable um, with. So, um, you know, philosophically it, it works, but, um, and people can rely on them as, as they wish. And I, as I said, I don't think people are really referring to them as much as they used to. Yep. And okay. um, I guess with, with Andrew and um, look, I mean, that sort of gang of four, you know, it's described in the paper. Um, I, when I said I was calling all the, all the other candidates to work out my how to vote card um, preferencing, you know, it was important for me that I was aware where they had preferenced me. Um, and when I called Andrew and Les and Lindsay, or, or texted Lindsay, none of them knew where they had preferenced me on their how to vote cards. They had absolutely no idea and they didn't know until they were printed because it wasn't that they hadn't had any, um, any uh, awareness of who was going where. That was, I guess, done by, by Don. And that's what I've been told from um, those people. And, uh, and that's and my understanding as well from the conversations I've had. I just can't see it have played out in any other way than you just described <laughs> yeah I, I, and look yeah. i mean and, and i guess one important point and you know this is um it's just important that i convey the facts and and i guess what what can happen in in local local government elections is is that and with in relation to the how to vote cards is when i i phoned on to, you know, it was a few weeks ago when I phoned Don to let him know that I would be doing a how to vote card. Um, uh, he, did, he didn't know how, he forgot where I was preferenced on his card um, at that time. He said he'd give me a call back in about 20 minutes or so, because he was just, you know, doing the paper rounds at, at that time. He called me back and, and said, I think, I think he said I was about fifth or sixth. Um, and he did offer me, uh, free advertising in his paper. He said he'd publish the how to vote card for free uh, without charge there in full color um, on two conditions. And, and one of those conditions was to rank him highly on my card. And one of those conditions was to rank Claire Williams last 10 out of 10. Um, 
I guess obviously I know the explanation for wanting to him wanting to rank um, be ranked highly up, but uh, in terms of of Claire being ranked ten, he didn't provide any explanation there, so to speak. Um, he did also talk about the uh, how he would, as part of the deal, rank me middle of the range, um, not bad, but not brilliant in um, an upcoming issue of his newspaper uh, where they would be doing a classification system on all the candidates in, in the wards and uh, who, who would be ranked on a number of different dimensions, which I think many of us have seen this week um, called the grading scale in, in Don's paper. Um, so yes, I've seen, um... So you're, I think you're the third, but definitely the second, 100% the second candidate that has spoke to almost identical story. Um, uh, and what I want to pick up on in that story is uh, that I, that confuses my brain as a voter from the information I'm getting access to is I've got candidates that are saying they were offered from the editor of the at the time when the date that they were offered editor of the paper uh, a good grading in something that was coming up on them say call it election week for argument's sake um yeah. but then when election week comes around the article's out and he's distanced himself from that grading scale and his wife has authorized it and then when i send letters to the editor to say were you that current editor barbara hill the only one that had input on this grading scale and the answer comes back yes i was it's really hard to digest as being the truth when Don Hill was out there weeks beforehand promising results or vague understandings of what the result might be um, on that grading weeks beforehand. Yeah, look, at, at, it's certainly questionable um, from my perspective, highly suspicious. And I think it's, uh, and I'm, I'm not here to, to, I guess, slag anyone off. It, it's just really important that these facts are known about yeah. the processes behind the creation of how to vote cards, because um, there, there are some, some dodgy things that I think are happening um, that people aren't aware of when they, when they get their how to vote cards. And um, look, I, I certainly declined Don's offer and uh, I've since placed him last on my how to vote card. Um, and did not place Claire last, I placed her third, in fact. Um, and I guess it, it just spoke to, to me about, um, about character there, if, if someone's willing to, to do that. I've, I've since made a complaint to the VEC, um, uh, indicating that it, it could possibly be a, a breach of the Local Government Act 2020. Mm. Um, but we'll, um, I'm just awaiting a response from the inspectorate. Yeah, and that's all I'm trying to do is just keep asking questions because I think the voter deserves to know how a democracy comes about and how people end up in governance of our areas and how these campaigns are stitched together. Uh, I don't think these questions are unreasonable from a voter's point of view. And I once again, thank you for uh, being open and candid and speaking to the facts that you're aware of. Um, all right, let's wrap this up. Is there anything else, Adrian, that uh, to make sure I'm saying the right name, Adrian, um, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, you'd like a voter to know about you or think about when going to cast their ballot uh, and post it back? Um, look, 
<laughs> apart from vote for the young guy. But um, not look. I mean, I'm I'm very accessible. My phone number is is on the VEC website. My email address is there. I put that on many Facebook posts. I've put that on um, on letters and information that I've given to people or put in their letter boxes. I want people to to contact me. I want people to call or email and ask me questions as I want them to ask questions of all the other candidates. It's whatever they're, what, what's important to them is important for us to know about because un, unlike regular times, given COVID, we can't go out to the same community groups that we would um, in the traditional way. We, we can't really um, make ourselves visible and aware and, and let people know that we're campaigning as, as freely as we would in, in normal times. So I think as long as people um, are interested in the campaign and if they're having any questions, if they haven't yet voted, if they're having questions about any of the candidates um, or, or something about me and whether it's in my statement or, or anything like that, give me a call, get in touch. It's really important that I hear from you. So I know what people in our community want and I promise not to talk as much as I have during, <laughs> during our phone call. Um, as I have during this podcast. Um, but I just want to hear from people about what's important to them. I feel bad about talking a lot on this podcast. That's the whole point of it. <laughs> I want you to. It's a really good chance for people to really understand you and how you think about um, governance and what you care about. So I do, do deeply thank you for coming on and giving me the time and the vote of the time uh, that you have tonight. Now, one last question. Um, if you had to be an Australian politician for only one day, uh, dead or alive, which one would you be and why? Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've heard a, a few responses to this question uh, in some of your previous podcasts. Look, I'm going to say... Um, Harold Holt, and I'm just gonna just so I can forewarn him not to go to the beach that day. <laughs> awesome, I love uh, unique answer, and you have the advantage to answer it that way because you have come on at this stage of the podcast, so you did understand that question uh, a lot better than some poor candidates right at the beginning that got that question and didn't know it was coming. So well played, sure. uh, appreciate it. <laughs> um, uh, thanks for your time. Uh, I'll say good night. It is now 7.53pm uh, on Friday, the 15th of October. I'm going to record one more episode after this and no more recording of episodes until we find out who our council is. Thanks again, Adrian. Terrific. Thank you so much for having me, Craig. Cheers. To see all the candidates in one place so you can understand who is in your ward and who you can vote for, go to craigprivet.com.au found in the show notes and the candidate you just listened to will have all their contact details in the show notes as well. Share the podcast far and wide and let's have a really open and transparent election. Bye for now.